It's, uh, it's good to be back. Uh, it was nice to have time away. Um, and I'm thankful to those who preached while I was away. You, uh, you got to hear some great sermons, which means I got to hear them too uh, on the live stream. But I'm thankful to Dick Ham, um, to Lee Camp, and to uh, Greg Jones, my friends that came and, and guest uh, preached, and also to our other ministers who preached uh, while I was away. Um, I had a good sabbatical. It was, um, it was needed. Uh, I was able to uh, unplug and rest and be with my family, uh, be renewed, travel and write. I got to spend time in Suwannee, uh, spent time up in, uh, in North Carolina, the beach and the mountains. Um, we almost went to a Garth Brooks concert. Some of you know what I'm talking about. We got, we got to the stadium and, uh, and had to leave. Um, and then we capped it off last weekend with a trip to Dollywood. So that was, uh, that was fun. Um, but before I begin the message or the main part of the message this morning, I'd like to take a few minutes to share with you some things that I've been thinking about this summer, just things that have been on uh, my mind and my heart. The first uh, pertains to spiritual growth, and it's the idea that less is more. Uh, since I didn't have to, to preach, teach, write sermons, do weddings, funerals, lead staff meetings, it occurred to me right away that busyness is a problem when it comes to our faith and our spiritual lives. So many of us are so busy and so overcommitted that we don't have the time to reflect and focus and recharge. And I was able to do that this summer. And you might think to yourself, well, well, I don't get a sabbatical. How am I supposed to do that? And the answer is we all have to do this on a regular basis. That's the concept of Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Our culture has strayed so far from that and we've done that to our own detriment. And this is a good reminder that, that as we enter the fall, let's be realistic about what we can take on and what we can do. I love what Eugene Peterson says in his memoir called The Pastor. He says, the cultural conditions in which I am immersed require a kind of fierce vigilance to guard my vocation from these cultural pollutants, so dangerously toxic to persons who want to follow Jesus in the way that he is Jesus. I wanted my life, both my personal and working life, he says, to be shaped by God and by scripture and by prayer. And guess what? That doesn't just apply to, to ministers. That applies to all of us. We have to carve out time for spiritual growth. The second thing that I've been thinking about is family. And no, we're not announcing anything about our family or adding to our family. We're done there. But I got to spend a lot of time with my family this summer uh, with Megan and our three kids. Montgomery is 11, fifth grade. Clayton is nine in the fourth grade. And Wade is five. He's in his last year here at the, at the preschool. But something occurred to me this summer. When we are stressed out, when we are overcommitted, when our mind is thinking about work or the virus or what's happening in different parts of the world, we cannot be present with the people that we love. And so many of us miss out on special times in life because our mind is not really there. I'm guilty of it. And so I guess that what I realized this summer is that kids really do grow up fast and family life really does matter. We all wear many hats, minister, lawyer, doctor, teacher, banker, dentist. But perhaps the most important hats that we wear their husband, wife, mother, father, son, daughter, sister, brother, 
And we need to put as much investment and time or even more into those roles because we live in a culture that always wants to define you by what do you do? What do you do? That's the first question we ask people. We don't ask them, who are you? What are you all about? The third thing that I've been thinking about this summer is the pandemic. I call it the gift that keeps on giving. None of us chose this pandemic, but all of our lives are affected by it. You know, we made the decision this week to move our bridge service outdoors so that we have a worship service outside as an option, as many people just feel much more comfortable outside. And so we're gonna do that uh, at least through the end of September. While I was away, something occurred to me. It's not just that the pandemic is exhausting for leaders because everybody has an opinion about what you should or shouldn't do. That's true. But I had some time to to, to grieve what this pandemic has done to church life. This is the most sustained disruption in the history of organized religion. And it's hard for me, and I know for many of you to come to terms with something that just won't stop disrupting our lives. I choose not to live in fear because the Bible tells me that's the opposite of love, but I do believe that we need to be smart in the decisions that we make. And it's okay to give yourself time to grieve because lives have been lost and and, and time has been lost and unfortunately, we're still not through it. The fourth thing that I've been thinking about is Jesus and the way he calls us to live. And so I've been rereading the gospels, some of them, and what occurs to me is how many questions Jesus asks. He asks roughly 307 questions uh, in the four gospels, and he only directly answers less than 10 of those questions. And I believe the questions are important because they challenge us and they open up conversation. And so that's our new sermon series this fall, Tough Questions of Faith. And I'm recommending a book to you to go along with the series. It's called Jesus is the Question, written by Martin Copenhaver, who's the president of Andover Newton Seminary. He will help you explore the many different questions that Jesus asks throughout his life and ministry. And so if you need a book for your devotional life or for your small group, I present that book to you this morning. Today in our gospel reading, Jesus is traveling to the district of Caesarea Philippi and he asks his disciples a question. Who do people say that the son of the man, son of man is? And they answer, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answers, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Right after I graduated from college, I uh, took a trip with my dad. We went to Europe and we flew into Rome, uh, one of the world's great cities. And um, that's where we started the trip. And one of the first things that my dad wanted to show me was the Vatican. He'd been there before, I'd never been to Europe. So we went to Vatican City, we went to St. Peter's Basilica, which if you've been there is 
just ginormous. It's amazing. It's beautiful. We walked around the basilica. We climbed the steps up to the top of the dome. We looked out over the city of Rome. We went down beneath the nave uh, and we, we, where the popes are, are buried and also uh, where they believe that St. Peter is buried, hence the name of the, of the church. And it kind of occurred to me, isn't it amazing the trust that Jesus put in the apostle Peter? Peter answered the question, right, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Peter. You're Peter and on this rock I will build my church. What incredible trust he put in Peter. But we have to answer that same question. Who is Jesus in our lives? I like what N.T. Wright says in his book, Simply Jesus. He says, Jesus of Nazareth poses a question and a challenge 2,000 years after his lifetime. The question is fairly simple. Who exactly was he? What did he think he was up to? What did he do and say? Why was he killed? And did he rise from the dead? The challenge is likewise fairly simple since he called people to follow him and since people have been trying to follow him ever since, what might following him entail? How can we know if we are on the right path? You know, when we are baptized, and some of you might have been baptized as infants, others of you maybe here at this church as a, as a youth or an adult, we're basically saying, I want to live my life the same way that Jesus lived his life. I want to live my life by his teachings and principles. But isn't it funny how that means so many different things to so many different people? For some people, Jesus is simply a historical figure of the past who lived in first century Palestine. He taught, he healed. For others, he's a living presence. For some, he is the rubber stamp on conservative politics. For others, the driving force behind social activism. For some, he brings up bad memories of a rigid upbringing. For others, it's the memory of a church that loved and nurtured them in their early years. For some, he's a symbol of intolerance and closed-mindedness. For others, he's a symbol of inclusivity and love. For some, he's challenging and inspiring. For others, he's just a convenience when time allows. For some, he's life-changing and transforming. For others, he's life-draining. Jesus means different things to different people in our culture. And I love what Lee Camp, who preached here last week, I love what he said in his book, Mere Discipleship, a book he wrote a while back. He said, Jesus of Nazareth always comes asking disciples to follow him, not merely accept him, not merely believe in him, not merely worship him, but to follow him. And one either follows Christ or one does not. There is no compartmentalization of the faith, no realm, no sphere, no business, no politic in which the Lordship of Christ will be excluded. We either make him Lord of all Lords or we deny him as Lord of any. So let me ask the question again, who is Jesus for you? What are the ways that you are following him? How does that impact the way that you live, the way that you talk to people and interact with people? After his baptism in Luke's gospel, Jesus emerges from the wilderness to begin his ministry. And he says this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. 
Release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to declare the year of the Lord's favor. He was quoting the words of the prophet Isaiah, and he was using that as his mission, as his platform. If we continue in Matthew's gospel, after Jesus makes that declaration about Peter, he says this, if any want to become my followers, they must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will find it. Jesus is about denying self and living for others. This is the same guy who tells the story about the father that had two children, uh, the elder son uh, stayed home and was faithful. The younger son asked for his inheritance early, went off to a foreign land, squandered all the money, blew it on desolate living. And then years later, he comes back and to his surprise, what happens? The father opens his arms and welcomes him home. He thought he was dead. This is the same guy who, 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 who encounters a woman who had been caught in adultery. The Pharisees come and try to trap him by saying, this woman's been caught in adultery. The law says that we should stone her. What do you say? Well, Jesus outsmarts them. He says, all right, let those of you who are without sin be the one to cast the stone at her. And they all dropped their stones and they all walked away. This is the guy who tells the story about somebody traveling on the steep road from Jerusalem to Jericho. He gets robbed, beaten, left on the side of the road. Two religious guys, a priest and a Levite, pass by on the other side. They don't stop. Then a Samaritan comes along, helps the man, bandages up his wounds, takes him to an inn, and pays somebody to take care of him. He says, whatever else you spend, I'll pay you back. And so Jesus asked the question, which of these three was a neighbor to the man who was robbed, the one who showed him mercy? Go and do likewise. Jesus is the guy who gets pulled into a family squabble over money and inheritance. Uh, they ask for his advice. What does he say? Take care, be on guard against all kinds of greed, for your life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Go make money be successful, have a career, work hard, take care of your family, but for goodness sake, don't let your possessions and your money define who you are. This is the guy who encounters the rich man and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I've kept all the commandments ever since I was young. What else do I lack? And Jesus looked on him and the Bible says that he had pity on him. It was clear that what was most important to this guy was that he was rich in what he had. And so Jesus says, well, go and sell all your stuff, give the money to the poor, then you'll have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. But because the guy could not imagine his life without his money and his stuff, he went away sad. Jesus is the one who says, Two people went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, another a tax collector. The Pharisee stood there, stood there and said, oh God, I'm so thankful that I'm not like all these other people, uh, thieves, rogues, adulterers, and then he lists all the good things that he does in his life. But the tax collector stands there pounding his chest saying, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. He showed contrition and humility. And Jesus says, all who exalt themselves will be humbled but all who humble themselves will be exalted. Live a humble life. Don't be arrogant and condescending. This is the guy who is asked by a lawyer, hey, teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. On this hang all the law and the prophets. In other words, if you don't get that, then don't worry about all the other things. 
Jesus is the one who Peter says, Lord, how many times must I forgive somebody in the, in the church? Seven times? And Jesus says, no, Peter, not seven times, but 70 times seven. You've got to forgive in life if you want to survive or you'll carry too great of a load through life. You didn't like that, Charlotte? <laughs> so many stories, so many teachings, so many questions, and I believe that we are called to wrestle with these questions in our own lives. Jesus would not have raised them if they didn't matter. And so that's what we're gonna do this fall is we're gonna wrestle with these questions. We're not gonna get to all 307 of them, but we're gonna get to a bunch of them. Now in the book that I'm recommending by uh, Copenhaver, he points out that many theologians, really brilliant theologians, have tried to answer this question over the years, who is Jesus? Karl Rahner said that Jesus is the perfected human person. John Robinson claimed that Jesus was the human face of God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said he's the man for others. Jürgen Moltmann referred to him as the crucified God. But you don't have to be a brilliant theologian to answer this question. Who do you say that I am? And if you are a Christian, you have to answer this question. Who is Jesus to you? What difference does he make in your life? Do you trust him? Do you love him? Do you study his teachings? Do you wrestle with his questions? And does it show in your words and in your actions? Somebody once said, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us a banker or an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God might have sent an entertainer. But our greatest need was for forgiveness and new life. And so God sent us a savior and we're called to follow him and let him change our hearts. Amen.